Yes, I'm not dead yet, even though haters would probably want that. Yes, I'm back, and I'm actually very excited because... Whether you on the outside of your market trying to tap back in Or just need a little help to find a way to gain some traction again You need some market reconnection We got the answers to your questions No second thoughts or second guessing You need some market reconnection The real question is this How does a seven-figure business regain traction in the market? How do we reconnect with our audience? How do we stop worrying about our competitors? taking over and find the peace of mind and certainty within the marketplace. That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Ivan Temelkov. This is Market Reconnection. I believe things happen for a reason, and I have a very amazing woman with me today, which, by the way, thank you so much for doing this in After Hours, because I know that's a special occasion, by the name of May. So, May, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Ivan, the American way, but I call you Ivan because I'm worldly. <laughs> right, right. I love it. I love it. I love it. May, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, as we were talking before I had record, you're the first guest in like three months that I've had on the podcast. And I'm absolutely ecstatic because I'm a firm believer that it's happening for a reason. But before we dive into what we want to talk about today, Let's start out with, tell people a little bit about yourself, your background, where you come from, and why are you doing what you're doing today? Okay. So I'm originally from Singapore. So I came to the United States permanently in 2004. My background has always been in hotel management and events management and food and beverage management. So I came to, I came to Miami, Florida in, 20, in 2004, and I never left. So I came to do some hotel openings. And then um, in 2012, I decided that enough, enough of working for other people, start my own business. So I started M2 Hospitality, which is now 11 years in business. What we do is we help Fortune 500 companies to do their in-person events and six to eight figure coaches to strategize, plan, and execute their ticketed in-person events. So that's my niche. And then my second business, uh, Events for Anyone, we started right at COVID where I do business coaching for event planners to help them start and start and scale the event planning company into a multiple six-figure profit company. And you may call me crazy, but I started that business in COVID telling event planners to start a business when there's nobody hiring event planners to do mm-hmm. any events. But yeah. I have a foresight because if not now, when? Now is the time to do all your prep work. And then, boom, 2021, we semi-open. 2022, we are fully open. These people are rolling in the dough. So I, wow. I, don't, make, I don't make decisions based on what's happening right now. I make decisions yeah. based on what could be the potential. And I believe in what I do. And here we are. So you said something right there. You said, call me crazy. But it kind of goes to one of my all-time favorite quotes by Steve Jobs. Those who are crazy enough to change the world, they're usually the Mm -hmm. ones who do. And so what you said is, and another thing you said beyond that is that you don't look at the current status quo, but you look at Mm -hmm. the potential. And I Mm -hmm. think that is the true breed of an entrepreneur is seeing potential where others don't see that potential because most people are sort of immersed in the current status quo, and then allow that current status quo to reflect and paint the trajectory of their path in life and in business. 
And so you were talking about that this was through COVID and here you are like getting into this business, which by the way, I want to know how did you get into event planning in the first place? When I was in the hotel business, you know, my, my, I, I love food. Believe okay. it or not, you know, you may not say <laughs> I love food. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm what kind of food? All, all kinds of food. Okay. So, so I'm a Singaporean true and true that's our pastime we eat 24 7 yeah so so every 10 feet there's something to eat so <laughs> anyways um i got into the hotel business because i am intrigued with the different type of food i can try and eat yeah and where is the best place to learn about food and beverage you know in a grand scheme in in, in grand scheme of things hotels yeah. and events yeah. so when i was in the hotel business i i primarily focus on food and beverage in restaurant and mm -hmm. then after that, I realized that, you know, this is quite boring because it's just, you know, it's just restaurant opening restaurants, sitting people, feeding mm -hmm. people, and then they go. And I was like, hey, you know what? Events, you can actually do different things. It allows creativity and it allows a lot of planning. It allows organization skills. And I like things that stimulate my brain. So events is probably one of the area that requires me to manage many things at one time, which keeps me on my toes. Yeah. And gives me the creativity to create experience, which is something that I enjoy as well. And allows me the um, the fun, the possibility to create experience through food and beverage. So a lot of my events uh, for Fortune 500 companies have a heavy food and beverage component where, mm -hmm. where people will talk about the experience at the event. Not so much about, you know, okay, they talk about the host, they talk about what they learn, they talk about what actually is the theme of the event, but everybody will leave my event talking about the experience of the, the sight, the sound, the smell, the touch, yeah. the taste of the food. So that's actually what got me into event planning. Now, when we niche down to doing ticketed in-person events for coaches, when I hired a coach myself and I attended her, her first in-person events, I realized that it's so different from the types of events that I've done. It, it, it's transformational. It's impactful. Yeah. It's not... Now it's no longer just F&B component. I mean, if I can yeah. sneak in uh, F&B component, great. If not, it's it's now I am in a driver's seat to really help these coaches to understand the power of in-person events, to understand mm -hmm. the ticket pricing strategy behind it. How do you price? What do you negotiate? When do you sell? And then yeah. they make profit upfront and the people who come, who invest in themselves, they 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 have the opportunity to live a better life by learning from the host of the event and also the community that they built. Yeah. So now I see, I, I get very motivated in doing this type of events because I, it's no longer just about having a great time. It's about really making a change in someone's life. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. You, you, t you said the word transformation and you also talked about experiential and, um, uh, on the business side, I think it's now more than ever of most intricate importance because it's those experiences that create lasting impressions. Um, and I think even on a personal level, too, for instance, um, um, both of my kids are seven and five. And I look at it on a personal level, too, is like as humans, we remember experiences. So even on the business side or even on the personal side as well, what do you remember experiences? So it sounds like 
the way you've approached your events is to create those lasting impressions to where people will talk about that event set. Holy shit, that was fucking amazing. You know, like they had the light show and the food was amazing and they had uh, speakers and maybe uh, they had a, you know, a rapper come in or whatever. It was just mind blowing. Right. And that's what people remember. So it sounds like that's how you're approaching your events, right? Yeah, I approached events. You are you are definitely right by mm -hmm. quoting those examples. But I approached events not so much about the um the obvious, not yeah. so much about the obvious as in like get a get a big name band, get the most expensive menu, mm -hmm. or or do the best light show or the best decor. No, I ex I approach experience based on why are these people here. Yeah. What, okay. What 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 are they trying to gain, and why is the host hosting this event? Yeah. What are they wanting the people to come to gain? Right. That's when I create the experience. So some people like for me, I'm not when I go to an event and I see all this, all this big production. For me, it mm -hmm. doesn't excite me. But if in the room, there are people that I can actually connect with and have yeah. intelligent conversation. That's the experience. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I actually, now that we're talking more about the event planning and the personal connection that you mentioned, which I'm a huge fan of because I'm a huge fan of anything human-centric, really, especially mm -hmm. in this digital and AI world that we live in now to where, God, I hope I don't wake up tomorrow and I'm obsolete because AI has taken over everything, you know, but... um. Now I want to talk more about, because you mentioned connections, personal connections specifically, and you also brought up something that has to do with target audience. So when you approach different events, right? So can you talk a little bit about like the logistical aspects of how do you plan, you know, like, because you said, I don't go for the most expensive menu, or I don't go for the most expensive band, but how do you, from a logistical standpoint, like actually plan for something like that? Do you study the audience or what's your approach to that? I think the first, the most important thing is to understand why you're even having this event. Mm -hmm. What's the purpose of this event? What's the objective of this event? Once right. you define the objective, what the host is trying to do, then it will naturally define the audience who's coming. And okay. then, then we look at, okay, what are they here for? What kind of environment do we provide for these people so that they can experience what the host wants them to experience? Okay. That then drives the, the venue. What kind of venue will work well for that? What type of aesthetic will work well for that? What type of experience should we incorporate? What type of speakers? What type of content should, will work well for that? Then based on that, we work on the event budget. So with the event budget, some, if we're talking about ticketed events, that would be the that would be the driving force of how much we need to charge for the tickets, yeah. and pet in some profit. But if we're talking about you're just a corporate uh company who wants to host the event, then we look at this event budget, and then we look at your marketing budget and see does it align with your marketing budget. And then the most important thing that people tend to forget is measuring the return on investment at the end of the event. What are you trying okay. to achieve? So when you're talking about objective at the very beginning. You need to, at the same time, define what is the end goal? What is okay. the benchmark? What's the measurement of success for the event? It's not people having a good time, but how many people sign up for your program? 
sure. or how many people book a call to want to know a little bit more about your services, your products, yeah. or how many new how many new leads did you build your funnel? So so all that all that are the main basis of of the logistics. I mean, and then there's of course the nitty gritty, the contract negotiation, finding yeah. the vendors, the venues, and what to negotiate. On the contract, so it's a it's a good business for the venue, and it's also a fair deal for the for the client as well. Um, logistics such as pick a venue that makes sure that you have enough parking and it's easy to get to. You don't have to like change planes five times. Mm-hmm. You don't want to pick a date where it coincides with public holidays, uh, right. city-wide events, things like that. So the boring stuff. <laughs> well, it sounds like I appreciate you alluding on that, but just like hearing some of those details, I'm like, oh my god, that's a shit ton of coordination and attention <laughs> to detail. And I think there, I mean, just knowing very little about event planning, it just goes to show that I think most people underappreciate the whole logistical aspect that goes into event planning. And then even more so, I think you said earlier that it's not as simple as saying, all right, you know, we're going to host an event for our company and we've got a $50,000 budget as opposed to, I think you said that you actually reverse engineer that because you try to figure out like, all right, what are we trying to accomplish here? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're going to have 500 people that are going to show up or a thousand people or whatever, and then they're going to have fun. They're going to eat. They're going to drink. They're going to laugh. You know, they're going to talk to each other. What do we want to accomplish out of this? So it sounds like on what you were saying is that instead of, you know, going forwards with a given budget, you actually define the budget based on the KPIs that your client defines, correct? Yes. So that's the difference between the event planner and the event strategies. Mm-hmm. If you are a really good event planner, you are also a strategist because you will question your host. Yeah. You'll question yeah. your clients to think to 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 look at events as a profit revenue, a profit revenue generating center, right? A mm-hmm. revenue generating center is not a sales and marketing expense. So yeah. so you know, a regular event planner will just okay, ask the client, what do you need? Okay, let me just okay, go your order taker. And event strategies will challenge, will ask questions. Yeah. Because because it's no longer just doing another pretty event. It's about how can we make money here? How can we change life here? How right. can we bring right. how can we bring impact to the company and to the people who's coming? Yeah, I think I love that you were talking about the functional aspect of event planning versus, you know, just splurging a lavish budget on mm-hmm. a bunch of people just having fun and laughing and just, you know, having nothing out of it, which I'm sure you've seen probably uh, some fortune companies experience that, right? They're just trying to all create... the time, all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's not that uncommon then because um you just validated that actually there's a lot of companies that just spend buku dollars on just mm-hmm. drinking partying having fun a, a, a big show yeah a big show that's it mm-hmm. exactly a um big show. so how was the the you know i know you mentioned covid earlier too but like what did you see throughout like you know pre-covid post-covid like how did that affect the event planning business i think that it, it really shook up the whole events business Mm-hmm. And now from the supplier side, which is the venue and the vendors, they they are putting more restrictions on their contracts, right? Because everybody lost money during yeah. that time yeah. unless you know how to how to negotiate out of certain situation. 
So we we become a little bit uh, I would say careful about what we put on the contract. So you our know. terms for cancellation, deposit, milestone payments, uh, pandemic, force majeure, all yeah. that becomes tighter, which I think it should always be like that. Yeah, it should always be like that. And we we become a more, I would say, in 2021. I wouldn't say moving forward to 2022, okay? Yeah. The first year, everybody tries to help everybody. And then the second, the 2022 is like, oh, dude, you're on your own. So because, because everybody's suffering, you know, then suddenly you just let the floodgate out and everybody's there for themselves. Yeah. So events get a little messy. It, it got really messy and um, there's not enough, there's not enough supply. All the prices went up, clients get upset. How come this and that? And and we as an event planner is stuck in the middle because we understand, right? Like for me, I was from on the other side. I was a supplier when I was in the hotel side. So yeah. I understand what the hotel is going through. And I also understand from the client's point of view, like what your your cost increase, what why does it have to do with me? It's got nothing to do with me. So why do mm -hmm. I have to bear the cost? So we are in a mediator position to really educate the client and at the same time seeking collaboration with the supplier so that we can come to a compromise that it is a good business for the supplier and it is also a fair deal for the client. Okay, okay. Yeah, so that's really interesting. You mentioned how the dynamics of um, the event planning business have really changed. And uh, actually, with that, since I asked this, I'm actually curious to know, and this really delves more into the entrepreneurship side of things. But uh, let's face it, a lot of people are, are talking about on the Internet, you know, about how much they're charging for their services, for their products. And um, I think I even asked you this question, but I'm curious to know your take, especially since you have a lot of event planning experience and entrepreneurship experience too but um the pressing question is how much should i charge for my worth for my time for my services how do you approach that just from an event planning from an entrepreneurship standpoint how do you approach something like that can you put a dollar amount to your worth <laughs> i don't think so exactly yeah. so it's it's a it's a redundant question it's yeah. like, how much should I charge for my worth? Priceless. You don't have a price. You walk around with a price tag? No. So, yeah. but I do want to answer this question because I get asked all the time sure. by my clients inside the mentorship program. Nobody has ever questioned how much I charge, which is great. And I'll, really? I, will I will talk about that. I'll talk about that. How, <laughs> okay. did, I make, okay. how did I make that happen? Yeah. Okay. So, so because by the time they come to me, they already know I charge buku money. <laughs> Right. So, but that is that is a, a a way to do that. So they will never bulk when you drop right. your fee. Okay. So let's talk about the practical approach because I want your listeners to be able to walk away with some with something yeah. solid that, that they can calculate. Yeah. So how much do you? Let's not even talk about the worth because the worth is priceless. How much do you want to charge for your time and your expertise? How about right. that? How much should I charge for my time and my expertise? So the mathematical way is you got to know your numbers first and foremost, right? You got to know what is your cost of operation. What is right. the cost of running your business? What is the cost of goods sold? What is the cost of running the operation? 
So, and then you need to pad in your salary because if you kill over and die, somebody has to come over and take over your business and you got to pay this person's salary, right? Yeah. Or you get very sick. So it's not just on you. Somebody has to be able to be paid to do your CEO job. So you got to pay yourself a salary. So you need to understand how much is the cost of running the business, which includes your salary. Let's just talk about simple entrepreneur, okay? Not yeah. talking about a company that has a hundred employees, just about you, solopreneur, because a lot right. of people listen to podcasts like that, right? right? So so let's talk about just you, your salary. So you need to think about your operational costs includes the cost of running a business, which is your license, your insurance, your LLC, your your software, your all these costs that you have to incur, okay, your website domain, stuff like that. So costs that you have to incur, regardless whether you have business or not. Right. Okay? So plus your salary. So you need to understand the fixed cost of the business. And then there's the variable cost of the business, which fluctuates based on, on based on um how much how much business activities you're doing. So if we calculate our monthly fee, for instance, okay, we calculate a monthly expense. If my salary, if my salary if is ten thousand dollars, okay, let's just say my salary is ten thousand dollars and my cost of operation is $1,000. So that's $11,000 over there. So you need to charge at least $11,000 a month to, to be able to survive. So, yeah. and then you think about, okay, but I'm not here to just pay myself a salary. I'm here to pay myself a, um, a, a profit. So you add on, okay, let's put have $4,000 profit on top of that. So in total, you have $15,000 that you need to bring in every single month. Then you have to think about what are your billable hours? Okay, so in a month, you work 160 hours CEO, 80 hours building your business, 80 hours on, 80 hours on um, your, your billable time that you can actually fulfill your client. Okay, so now we have $15,000 divided by 80 hours billable hours. Your hourly rate is $187.50. So if you do, if you are charging a client a consultancy and you do five hours for that, you, you bill $937.50. Yeah. Boom. Just like yep. that. No, that's a really good one. I appreciate you explaining that because um, it's a very basic mathematical way that Correct. I think people need to understand of how much do I charge for my time? You know, what do I need to survive? How much is my expertise worth? Because, you know, right now, especially I think with what's happening in the digital age and especially with social media, is like a lot of people are lowballing everyone else's price. Um, and, you know, underestimating their potential. And one of the reasons why I actually asked you this question is because I think a lot of people don't actually value their worth and what they bring to the table. And a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs, I should say, that either don't necessarily value what they bring to the table or they're afraid that they might be too expensive because of what they bring to the table, which if you ask me, it's probably a good problem to have if you think you're too expensive because... As the saying goes, it's cheap for a reason. You know, how many times do you go down to Dollar General and you find a true deal? And even if you do, like, let's say you buy for a dollar, okay, something for a dollar or even five dollars. How long is that really going to last? It's not durable. And I think people are misconstrued into thinking that like price defines durability and longevity in, in the entrepreneurship world. So. I think once you understand the math mathematical way to calculate 
you mm -hmm. also, there's another factor that you need to think about, right? So yeah. you want to calculate your financial goal. So therefore you need to charge this amount of money every single, every single hour that you are billing. Then you also have to think about like, what is the impact? What is the value you're bringing to the people? So when you are comparing yourself to your competitor, let's just say, then they may charge the same. But what makes you think that you cannot charge more? Because if you have an edge in terms of your proven record of the value that you get for your clients, why can't you charge more? This is now really charging based on your worth, echoed, which is your experience, yeah. okay? And, and also your trustworthiness. How do you make them feel? How do you make them feel that they can trust you and you need to deliver? So yeah. mm, that, and you can say that I want to charge a lot of money, but if you can't even say it out loud because you have a bad relationship with money, you, yeah. you don't believe, you don't believe in yourself, you'll be stuttering. So I can teach you to charge $187.50 an hour. But if you don't believe you are worth $187.50 an hour, yeah. you will not be able to say that, even though you want to make that much money. So there are a few things that comes into play when you're articulating how much you should be charging for your worth, echo. Yeah. You talked about self-confidence right there, which I think is so important. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you brought up a couple of things because um, I've been in situations personally before where, you know, like, you know, on the inside, it's like, I really need to charge more. I think, and you said experience and seasonality, but then you said trust and you said also we talked about experiences from an event planning standpoint earlier. I think that's really important too that I think you shared is that, okay, so your competitor might charge $187.50 an hour, but you create a better experience because they just like working with you. You know, you're conversational, yep. you're funny, you're raw, you're real. And your competitor is like, <clears throat> shows up with a suit and you're like, who the fuck is this clown? You know, it's like, it just sets off a bad vibe, you know? So, and I think now more than ever, a lot of companies do look for more raw and real and direct and mm -hmm. funny and, and spontaneous, you know, versus you've seen the people, you know, buttoned up, tie comes in, hair all swayed up, you know, billion dollar. It's like, fuck, you know, you look at them, it's like, we're not going to be a fit, man. I'm sorry. You know, so that's a really good point that you made is just that your overall presentation also the experience your trustworthiness you know actually mm -hmm. got me thinking something about actually a current client and a friend that i have when we're talking about worth is because i've known i've known him for about four years now um he owns a roofing company and he's about to cross the million dollar gross per year mark which is pretty big but this really just started happening over the last three months when he finally like bit the bullet and was like, all right, we're going to do this. Ivan, you're going to help me. And we just all went all balls to the wall. So to your point is when you were talking about how do you determine your worth and what you charge is it's all of that, right? It's like who you are basically yes. as a person and how you perceived by others, because right. if they perceive you as likable, trustworthy, valuable, dependable, and you can name your price. Shit, you could charge $500 an hour probably if you wanted to because you know what you bring to the table and your customers want to say, yeah, man, you're worth that. And more. 100%. That's why, that's why I say that they never balk at my price because yeah. I've already done the front work of my content, my creating the yeah. perception 
I, I, I assert authority. So they know that I am, I am the authority in that field. So right. they know that I know my stuff, right? And then they also know that this is how I work because this, when I share my videos, I, they see how I think. They see how I talk. And they'll be like, oh, I like her. She's a straight shooter. So they already know that I'm an expert. They already know how May is, right? And then I share the, the, the wins. I share the, the impact that I create for my clients. I say, you work with me. This yeah. is what you're going to get. So now I make them feel safe. And then they go dig some more about me. Who am I? They start talking to people who had worked with me before. And then they say, oh, yeah, she's expensive, but she's good. So they come yeah. here. They already know. They already know how much I'm going to be charging. So, so if you do your marketing right, if you consistently show up, if you constantly become who you are or be who you are and then evolve, people, yeah. you, will, you will have different type of audience as you, as you grow. So people who bought from you one year ago may not be the same people who's going to buy from you many years down the road. So, but the best thing is they can go together with you. And I'm extremely fortunate to be able to, to, to do that. Let me ask you something else. And actually, I think we might get cut off in a couple of minutes because it looks like my timer's on, but I'll jump back on again if we do, just FYI. Okay. Um, now that we're talking about value and entrepreneurship, I'm curious to know, in your experience, have you seen a cultural differentiation in self-worth? Yes, especially right after COVID. Okay. People evaluate their self-worth based on, based on how much money they make. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason I asked is um, there was some there was an article in Entrepreneur magazine that I read. It's back from 2011. It's still on the internet that said that um, uh, over 40% of uh, Fortune 500 company founders or owners were started by children of immigrants or immigrants. And I mean, uh, Google is one, obviously, you know, that everybody knows. Um, it goes even down to I think it was IBM, um, even some parts of Apple, I think also. And that's why I asked the cultural differentiation, because in my experience, I have actually seen a lot of that. I've seen some of the biggest hustlers are usually immigrants, people who are hungry, who have suffered a lot and they're willing to put it all on the line. Basically like no regrets, balls to the wall. I'm going to give it everything, everything I got. And I'm either going to win. I'm going to build a brand, a business. I'm going to succeed or I'm going to sink. And so that's why I was asking if you, in your experience, you've seen a differentiation from, you know, a cultural aspect specifically um, because I, go ahead. that's a tricky question because I'm not so sure whether self-worth is the right definition. It will probably will be the work ethics between, you know, in, in, in the culture. I don't yeah. believe that a American is, has, or an immigrant has feel that they have more self-worth compared to an American. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or European. I don't believe in so in that, but I do believe that it's as an individual, the self-worth is an individual. It's not a cultural. The cultural definitely has got some, some impact in it. And the, the, the cultural, the cultural yes. uh, difference or cultural shift between self-worth. Yeah. And I'm saying that I don't believe the cultural difference 
between mm. an immigrant and an American is any different when it comes to self-worth. I think the value that we were like as an immigrant, sure. where how you were brought up teaches different cultural background, teaches hard work, right? That you have to work yeah. harder because we are not given, we, we, we were not born with certain convenience. So we have to fight harder. And also being an immigrant, from your perspective, as you were saying that you feel that the immigrants, the immigrants, in order to prove that they have self-worth, they go balls to the walls, they give it all. They are risk takers. They really show yeah. up 2000% because we have a lot more to prove because we, we came with nothing, right? We came with nothing. Whereas compared to American who's born here, that you have your rights, you have this, you have that, everything is given to you. The perception is that Americans do not have to work as hard as an immigrant because everything was already given to you. You have the convenience of doing things. You don't have to prove to anybody. I I I think that's a common perception. Yeah. But I don't believe that is hundred percent true because I have seen some Americans who are not immigrants. Okay, yeah. who are not immigrants. Yeah. They are true true born Americans that they have amazing amazing work ethics. And their self-worth, they they don't think, I don't believe that they think that they're better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and I also met some immigrants who I don't believe that they think that they're less than American. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's an individual thing, not so much of a cultural thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the other reasons, that's a really good point about self-worth that you mentioned. I think principally mm -hmm. is very true um, in business, in entrepreneurship specifically. Uh, and also one of the reasons why I brought it up is because of a kind of a current scenario, actually, that I'm going through. So a friend of mine that I told you that I'm, I'm helping him run his roofing company is, um, you know, he's very patriotic. In fact, his father is a uh, retired staff sergeant. So He's very passionate about veterans and helping veterans and very patriotic about supporting our country and all of that. And um, historically, he's ran what some would call an all-American crew, right? And now, just because of the dynamics of labor change with crews, has shifted more to Hispanic. Well, one thing that he said recently that really got me thinking, he said, bro, I'm not going to fucking lie to you, man, but those Hispanic guys, they got better work ethic than my dudes. My dudes, it takes them twice as long, more expensive. And these Hispanic dudes, they come in, they get it fucking done, they get paid, and they live it better than they found it. And I was like, bro, look, it's not about Hispanic or American. It's about work ethic, which I think at the end of the day, it's like, I don't give a shit what your ethnicity is. Personally, I told them that it comes down to how bad you fucking want it. Exactly. How bad do you fucking want it? I mean... You see it all over the internet, right? Everybody's like, oh, I want a Lambo and I want a big house and I want to make millions of dollars. But like their work ethic is this. They don't want to work 10, 12 hours for five, six, 10, 12 years. You know, they don't want to go above and beyond. They're always like, all right, well, this is this is my contract. They do the so bare I'm, minimum. The yes. bare minimum, right? And bare minimum. Which I really think kind of attests to why you've been so successful you know, in event planning and entrepreneurship is because you've always gone above and beyond, you know, you're and you're truly passionate, right, about what you do versus 
let's face it, there's too many entrepreneurs that are just all about the money. Like they just think money, dollars and cents, as opposed to, like you said earlier, like why are we putting this event together? What's the purpose here? What are we trying to accomplish? Principally, it's the same, right? In business is that like, why are you in business? Why are you doing this? Did you just wake up and say, you know what? I'm going to build a business. Well, it's not as simple as that. You got to have some drive, right? Which I want to talk about, like, what, what is your drive? Like, what gets you up every day? And like, you're like, all right, I'm excited to do this. How do you approach it? Well, when people ask me, why did I become an entrepreneur? I was like, mm -hmm. by default, because I'm a sucky employee. So <laughs> not because that I do my bare minimum. It's because I drive my boss so crazy yeah. because I want to do a lot more. Sure. When I want to do a lot more, that means she needs to give me more work. That means she has to go find me more work. And then yeah. I start questioning, like, this is not efficient. Like, yeah. I start questioning things. I start thinking about how we can do better. But like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, I'm here earning a good paycheck. You leave me alone. Stop creating all this problem for me. So, so basically, I can't. I can't. I can't. I, I'm not a good employee because I don't play by the yeah. rules. So yeah. here I am. So my drive is, I like to, it's a good question because I'm not going to lie, okay? Every other few weeks, mm -hmm. I would tell my husband, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to be a housewife. I'm going to be a housewife. <laughs> I'm going to homeschool our daughter who's eight years old. Yeah. Super, super intensive school curriculum. She's in a gifted class. I was like, holy shit, this is like my third business. Like yeah. I have to like sit next to her and do her homework preparing for her school oh my god it's insane so i said you know what i'm just gonna quit i'm just gonna quit and i like shut down my business you know you you make good you, you make good money so i you yeah. know like okay listen maybe maybe i don't spend so much you know, maybe go on less vacation i cook more and we don't need a housekeeper i'm willing to compromise and not deal with this business stress and right. just 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 be simple okay yeah and then the next morning i was like holy moly, there's no way I can do this. I'm gonna, Then my husband, he knows me. He'll be like, no, you can't do that because you drive yeah. everybody crazy. You drive yeah. everybody crazy because you will be like, what can I do now? I'm bored. So I think yeah. what, what drives me is entrepreneurship is very exciting. And, you know, when I was, when I was in corporate America, the, the hotel owners used to joke that they need to keep me Constantly keep me engaged. Otherwise, I will start creating trouble. Okay? That they have to keep me stimulated. Yeah. They, have to, they have to give me things to do so that I don't idle around and then start, start you know, annoying the shit out of people. So, so, I think entrepreneurship, what drives me is the possibility of anything. Yeah. The, yeah, the possibility of anything. And if you were to ask me, May, why do you want to start your business? What makes you want to start your business? I, I think back 11 years ago, the reason why I started my business is because I really don't like to wake up early in the morning. Nice. I really don't. I really don't. I don't want to wake up by the alarm clock. You, sh you should see how happy I am every day if there is no school the next day. Oh my God. I'll be like, I'll tell my daughter, <laughs> oh baby, we can sleep in. We have to wake up so early and she, she's, yeah. and you know, the weekends are the best. Don't have to wake yeah. up early. So yeah. I didn't want, I, I don't want to wake up with the alarm clock. Yeah. So I can wake up wherever I want. I mean, I do wake up early naturally around like eight o'clock without yeah. alarm clock or 8.30. Um, 
But I don't, first, I don't want to wake up early. Second, I want to be able to do whatever I want to do at whatever time. Yeah. I don't want to have to go to my boss. Like I hated it when I have to go to my boss and have them sign off my leave, my vacation, because my family's in Singapore. So I yeah. have to, I like if I every time I apply for a leave, it's like it's like I'm asking for a million dollars. And they gave me so <laughs> much shit, honestly. It's it's like it's like remember, it's 24 hours flight to get back to Singapore. PTO and, is a bitch. Yeah, yeah. And and <laughs> yeah, PTO is a bitch for sure. Yeah. And and then I know what what is a vacation when they 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 need you to respond to emails? I have like yeah. three thousand emails. Every time I go away for 10 days, 3,000 leaflets, okay? Well, it makes me feel really good because I'm such a VIP. I'm such yeah. a high-ranking officer. Yeah, but no, it's not. So so I don't want to go to people to ask for things. I want to be the one telling people what to do. Like my husband said, the entrepreneurship is the best for me because I can boss people around, which is great. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I can decide who I want to work with. I make my own money now. Is it for everybody? Everybody likes this, right? They don't be boss sure. around they don't want to wake up with an alarm clock they want to be able to do whatever they want wherever they want everybody loves that right but then in order for you to do that you got to go find that money yeah. you got to go find that money so for me i i have never liked math when i was growing up i hated it i still mm. do but business finance i love it because every single time i look at that that my checking account my business account i'm happy yeah. Because, you know, every time the money comes in, I'm happy, right? So, so it, it, the money is good if you know how to hunt for it, right? My drive, the thing is, my, the yeah. whole drive to want to have a business is I answer to nobody. I yeah. answer to nobody and I, I write my own paycheck. The possibility of writing your own paycheck is great, yeah. but not, it's not for everybody. Oh, that's really good. I appreciate you sharing that because I think a lot of people underestimate the level of discipline that actually has to go into entrepreneurship because, you know, in the reality of things, before you are able to say, all right, I'm going to wake up whenever I want to do whatever I want to, there's there, there's an underlying factor behind that. I and mean, like you said, you hated math, but, you know, business finance, you know, the numbers having a different meaning, the perception of that is different because if you know how to make money, how to chase it, because you generally are passionate about what you do, mm -hmm. then that's a, you know, that, that creates the lifestyle around it. And I think a lot of people just don't quite understand that because they think it's as simple as, you know what, I'm going to be my own boss. Great. What are you good at? Well, I'm not really good at anything. Oh, well, maybe you're a better employee, you know, than just saying that, you know, you want to be your own boss because you just think you want to be your own boss because I've actually seen it even, you know, from the marketing space, a lot of people that for years, you know, there were, there were employees and now they're venturing out because we're in this entrepreneurship bubble, right? Yeah, and they think yeah. it's as simple as, you know, what I'm going to register a website, go online and suddenly I'm an entrepreneur and say, hold on, man, if it was that simple to do, Everybody would be an entrepreneur. Everybody would be the best event planner. Everybody would be making money, but it just doesn't work that way. You know, so a lot nope. of people, I think, underestimate, you know, the, the, what, what goes into, you know, really truly saying, you know, I'm going to go out on my own 
and then being disciplined because sure you can go on vacation and go see your family to Singapore, but mm-hmm. still being your own boss, you still have to watch over the business, right? And you got to make sure that you know things don't go sideways, as opposed to you know the perk of being an employee is that yeah you got PTO, right? But you know, and you know that there's a paycheck coming because you you got PTO. You know what I mean? So uh, I'm glad I'm glad that you mentioned about that. And with that being said, you know, I want to say thank you for sharing so much about your background, your experience and event planning. There was a lot that you mentioned, especially on the event planning side of like how much really goes into that, you know, to really create a successful event. But uh, before we wrap up the episode, how can people connect with you? What's the best way? to reach you out there in the uh, social sphere? Uh, I'm on almost everywhere except Twitter. So I, okay. my LinkedIn, LinkedIn. So just find Mayo Silvers, M-A-Y-Y-E-O-S-I-L-V-E-R-S. That is the same for LinkedIn. That's the same for okay. Instagram. That's the same for Facebook business page. That's the same for YouTube. And then my podcast, The Unstoppable Eventrepreneur. Now this is a mouthful. So it's E-V-E-N-T. R-E-P-R-E-N-E-U-R. So it's like an event planner, but who's an entrepreneur. So Unstoppable Eventrepreneur is my podcast. For those coaches out there who are thinking to do a a ticketed in-person event, I did a three-part series. So part one is defining the objective and the the blueprint of planning a ticketed in-person event. Part two, I talk about ticket pricing, strategy, sponsorship, strategy sales ticket sales strategy part three i talk about what do you what 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 happens now then the event is here and the post event analysis Mm -hmm. on roi so that is a a a true value bomb over there so i would say that if you are a a business owner or coach or consultant who wants to do a ticket in person event you should go listen to that podcast but other than that linkedin is great because i give a lot of free resources there as well awesome may thank you so much I really appreciate your time. Lots of great value. Getting to know you also. Congratulations on where you are today and everything that you've done. And I uh, look forward to staying in touch with you. Same here. Thank you. It's been a it's it's been a blast. I enjoy our conversation. Thank you for asking very intelligent question. And uh, I hope that I'll be able I have been able to provide value to your listeners. Whether you on the outside of your market trying to tap back in Or just need a little help to find a way to gain some traction again You need some market reconnection